All right, welcome back to Pints, Pipes, and Cross Catholic Show. Once again, I am um, I am Jose, and I am Sam, and we are your hosts of this wonderful wonderful show. Oh, geez, my my words are slurring. Uh, welcome, welcome back. Um, as always, you're gonna start drinking without me. Come on. <laughs> hey, I tried. I tried not to drink. Not just kidding. Not today. Today, today, I took it easy. We actually went to mass and we're pretty, you know, pretty happy. We came out. My wife's super happy today, and uh, today actually began began our uh, meal prepping uh, diet. So let's see how that goes. Um, but as always, let's start with the uh, with a hail mary and the glory be, and um, and then we'll get into our topic. All right, let's do it. Ave Maria. Gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis, peccatoribus, nuntet in ora mortis nostra. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritu Sancto, sicuter in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculora. Amen. In nomine Patri, et Filio, et Spiritu Sancti. Amen. All right, dude. So, how was your day? No, it was pretty good. I... Good Sunday, I would say. Got up early, um, went to breakfast, got ready. We decided to go to afternoon mass um, today. Um, just worked out easier for us in the long run. So went to afternoon mass and then uh, took my son to the park. That was a ton of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, after that, we just chilled, stayed home, uh, made some dinner, and uh, here we are. So. You know what? Uh, what? What better way to spend Sunday than a nice, leisurely, relaxing Sunday? Oh yeah, especially with your family. Oh, and especially the first Sunday of Advent. So, um, yeah, we uh, we just went to uh, the modern day bookstore and we bought some Advent candles. Um, we just need a week to put them on. But yeah, happy first Sunday of Advent to you. Oh, same, same. We did exactly that. We know we've been looking for Advent candles forever. Like, I think about two weeks, and we can't find them anywhere. Yeah, see, our problem is not just the wreath. We need an an edit wreath or a holder for the four candles. Mm. Um, Because, yeah, they they had a stock. If you haven't gotten them yet, go to the bookstore. They have a stock of, um, yeah, uh, all four of them. So they've got three purple and one pink, um, and you're good to go. Oh, yeah, and they're cheap. You know, we we actually bought some today uh, at the bookstore, and they're pretty cheap. I think they were like yeah, six dollars less. Yeah, so yeah, six dollars. That makes sense. I don't even remember. Yeah, no, they were cheap. We, I mean, we found some, but they were too expensive. I'm talking about like about thirty bucks for four candles. I was like, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the problems that we have with trying to like look for candles at all for any type of um, devotional that we have is that if you're going to get like authentic, at least fifty-one percent beeswax candles. They're always, you know, just so marked up that you're going to be spending upwards of like 20 bucks a candle, you know, just if that uh, alone. And so, yeah, uh, candle making, candle buying, uh, I get why beeswax, like authentic beeswax is really, really hard to come by. You have to have an apiary, you have to have the bees, you have to make sure you collect it all. But man, where's the discount candles for, you know, us people that are trying to save some money here <laughs> yeah for those who have kids <laughs> yeah or probably the uh I, I know where they are that the dollar store the little tea lights you know mm, paint yeah one them, paint one of them purple or uh three of them purple one of them pink and boom 
Oh, you're smart. See, I never thought of about that. I just thought about getting them and then putting them inside some glass that was like purple and pink. Uh-huh. No, see, the, the problem I have with that is just I'm lazy, and so I don't want to take the time to paint that either. Um, so, yeah. Uh, if, if you have an all-in-one box, uh, okay, that works for me. And and the all-in-one box is expensive, so even, even better, right? Yeah, of, of course. And also, for those who don't know, and so... I wasn't really devoted to the to the Virgin Mary. I'll be honest with that, uh, with you. Uh, I was, you know, I really didn't grow up with a devotion towards the Virgin Mary, and just recently, I've uh, I've grown that devotion. Uh, why do I say this? Because today begins the novena to the Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, yeah. So uh, my my wife and I and my kids we actually started today. So. Uh, anybody out there who whether or not you have a devotion to the virgin mary she does help and uh you know just fyi if you're listening a day two days three days after this uh, it's never too late you can always catch up and we have another we have another big feast coming on uh for the virgin mary even before that too mm. right yeah it's a cause for celebration because it's going to be a meat friday we've got the immaculate conception going on immaculate conception going on uh on friday and so Boom. Holy day of obligation. So we get to go to mass. It's a uh, first class feast. So we get to eat meats on a Friday. And us as traditional Catholics, I know that that's a, uh, I, I know that you and I are, are on board with that. But yeah, for anyone at home who isn't, uh, you know, us traditional Catholics, we do like to um, partake in the Friday fast mm-hmm. that was in place before um, the, uh, the, the, um, the 1962 missile and um, all of that. So that's hey, every single every single um, Friday is a fast or sorry is an abstaining from meat. Yeah. Not every, not every Friday was a fast. It was an abstaining from meat. Also then, penance. Also, you can do any sort of penance on Friday. Yeah. Oh, oh. Actually, actually, hold on. I, I need I need to make that a caveat because Zay, did you know too? Um, that 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 that. The, the requirement from fasting on Friday of some sort is not lifted. It's not. Hmm. You, we are we are still required. And actually, if you look at, I think it's the USCCB themselves who put out a statement on this. We are still required. Um, it's uh, as I understand it, it's it's dictated by um, by the uh, conference of bishops for your country. But um, the USCCB states that it is still an obligation for Catholics to fast in some form or fashion on Friday, but they give principal, um, what do you call it, a private place or principal uh, principal idea, place, um, there's a word I'm looking for, but anyway, abstaining from meat is is the is the thing that they hold in highest esteem, principle esteem. There, let's let's go with that. Um, the USCCB says, yeah, you can you can do anything, and we forbid you from judging anyone else's stuff that they do on Fridays. We forbid you from judging them for their fasts as like demeaning. But we're going to judge, because they're the USCCB and we can do this, we're going to judge that the best form is still the old form, and that's abstaining from meat. We're just giving you guys the option. 
unfortunately, I think nowadays everyone is like, oh, hey, there's no, there's no abstaining from meat, right? There's no, there's. Um, it's only for Lent. No requirements. Yeah, it's only for Lent. No, wrong. If you didn't know, now you know. Sorry, you're under obligation. You must abstain from something, or you must fast from something. Every single Friday of the year, meat is the thing that traditional Catholics did, and it is the thing that the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops says, "Hey, you're that's still the best that best thing to do." So if you don't know, now you know. And I'm guilty. I I I mean, once I came into the TLM, that's when I began to understand all of that before i would just i wouldn't care about fridays honestly fridays was actually the party day so i would go yeah. and enjoy and go all out you know the beginning of of the weekend and uh just forget about it you know i, I that was friday was always the best day of my weekend yeah no i would agree because friday because even if you were still a church going you know church going person Friday you party so that you could sleep in on Saturday because you knew that you had to get up for mass on Sunday, right? And I was the same way. And but I I, I do have to admit, and maybe this is me trying to rid myself of some guilt. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it is a legitimate excuse. But you know, my problem was I was never told that. You know, like I didn't know that every Friday. I, I, yeah, I thought it was just Lent. I was told, oh yeah, on Lent we abstain from meat on Fridays. I didn't know that there was a whole church that existed prior to, at that point, 30 years ago that, um, you know, did that every single Friday of the year. And that, in fact, it's still the thing you're supposed to do anyway. People just don't talk about it. Like, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's so messed up. It's not that I was actively choosing not to, like, abstain from something on Friday. It's that no one told me that that was the thing. But, you know. Yes, a lot of information has been left out. You know what? Before we, no, no, you go ahead. I was gonna say, um, uh, did you, uh, I, I, did you still want to stick to the social media uh, thing that we were planning today? It's funny that you just said that because I was just about to ask you the same thing. I think we should just free flow it. Let's just go. Okay, sure. So talk about uh, growing up. Let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about perceptions of growing up Catholic. Uh, yeah, for those at home, just to give you kind of a, a meta of what we were going to talk about, we were going to talk about, you know, uh, social media and um, Jose and I's use in social media, um, you know, in today's life, how it's affected us, um, how we use it as Catholic men. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess we're going to save that for a different episode. Let's talk about this. Yeah, for sure. Because you and I have uh, different backgrounds in our catholicism it's funny because you know i was talking to my wife about it and um at one point i mean of course i uh like i've i've mentioned to you before i i grew up within a group within the church uh and so i i had a different view uh of what catholicism is or was and so coming to the tlm I felt more universal, meaning more Catholic, because that's what Catholic means. Um, I felt more Catholic. I felt closer and in union with the rest of the church. I, it's funny because us TLMers are pretty much being persecuted right now. Um, not just from the outside, but from within. Um, and that's where pretty much we're, we're, we are called to be persecuted up to a point, right? uh 
you know, martyrs and all this other stuff. But I was telling my wife that so much has been left out. There's been so, so much leeway for people to misunderstand what happened happened in Second Vatican Council. That after Second Vatican Council, everything just changed. You know, I was listening to uh, Pints with Aquinas. The uh, I think it was like two, three episodes ago where he had a yeah. The, the, the episode, um, what, what did he call it? It was everything you need to know about Vatican II? Yes, that one. Exactly that one. Because I've had people ask me, right? You know, um, my parents especially, where they think that I'm in a cult, that I've left the church. And it's like, no, actually, we're still within the church. Um, but I'm trying to obey or if not obey 100%. But I'm trying to stick to what Second Vatican Council wanted. Uh, and for those who don't, for, you know, the people who are listening, you know, Second Vatican Council came and there's so much drama. I mean, we see it, right? Um, where keep uh, Gregorian chant, it, it's pride of place. Uh, you know, keep Latin. The, the parishioners have to know the prayers in Latin. Uh, but the bishops can kind of pick and choose what parts should be in vernacular but the majority of the liturgy has to be in latin and so uh, i had read the second vatican council documents a while back a long time ago but i never ever really paid attention to it until just recently which was um, i don't know uh several months ago where i began to really study them and break them down and i was impressed because everything that i grew up with was none of it was in it and that's what blew my mind away you know that somehow the liturgy because the charismatics have their own source of liturgy um the i'm not gonna name it any more groups because in one of those groups i was in uh had their own liturgy uh even the, the normal novus ordo mass had its own special touch I could go to a Catholic church that's down the street from me, and then the same day I can go to the other Catholic church that's down the street from that church, and it may be different. Not 100%, but it may be different. Well, uh, well hold on. Let's, let, let's actually talk about that a little bit, too, because um, – so, so I want to throw in just a couple disclaimers here. Um, you know, like the first and foremost is – we're not those crazy TLMers, right? We're not the crazy TLMers that are like Vatican II was invalid and it was wrong, and um, you know everything that came out of Vatican II was was horrible. No, absolutely not. Vatican II is a beautiful council, mm -hmm. and the documents of Vatican II are amazing. You should, you need to read them. Yes. In fact, um, my wife and I, spiritual director um, for our marriage prep, um, he had us read Gaudium and Spes and um, like a couple of other Vatican II documents in preparation for our marriage and, you know what it meant to build that catholic household and they were beautiful right they're they're, they're well written and they're just they, they are um very amazing documents and they, they really um they really shine a light on um i don't want to call it like modern catholicism because it's not that um or maybe catholicism of the day and age like as of as of 1962 right um or later because the, the um the documents came out later um but what it meant to be a catholic while being in a more modern world not a modernism take on Catholicism, right yes i digress um 
the other thing I want to make a disclaimer in is that different liturgies are not inherently like wrong or bad or, or, or a sign of like anti-universalism. In fact, all, all the all the contrary. And the reason I bring that up, Jose, is because uh, me and my wife had gotten in the habit uh, in the last couple of weeks of actually going to uh, a Byzantine church um, because it was really convenient for our son's uh, our son's mass, St. Basil's um, down here in Irving. St. Basil the Great's Byzantine uh, Catholic Church, and they are a different rite, and therefore a different liturgy. They're a different, the, the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, right? Yes. And so they're a different liturgy than the Latin rite, but it's amazing, actually, like the, the differences that there, the differences that exist within their liturgy that I think bring a, um, a new not new because they're they're just as old as the latin church right um but uh a fresh perspective for me as a latin uh right goer um it's awesome to see their version of liturgy and what they bring to this this sacred space this celebration of the lord's supper um that we don't have in the latin liturgy oh and the icons um, and and, yeah, and their icons. And, and it's not to say that it's better, it's just that there are um, other things that they focus on um, that, that we don't. For instance, um, one of my favorite, favorite experiences is um, the processions of the, of the priests around the church. Because um, whenever, this does not happen in the Latin Rite, whenever the priest processes in the Byzantine church, um, you'll have people reach out and try to touch the chasuble of the priest calling back to you know the hemorrhaging woman in the bible right who thought oh i just need to ch touch christ's cloak and um, i'll be healed and she was and power left him right and so um in the byzantine church whenever the priest actually proceeds through the uh, through the congregation if you're in the aisle like next to the priest um you're supposed to reach out you're supposed to try to touch the chasuble um right as, as kind of a, a callback to that and as a um as a representation of his persona christi right mm -hmm. of, of the priest acting in the person of christ hey all i have to do like just have the faith enough to touch the chasuble to touch his cloak and i might be healed oh, right yeah um that's something that's super cool that's in a different liturgy than us um but again, it's not it's not that that's inherently better. It's just that it's a cool different thing that they focused on, right? Whereas we have more of the sacred silence than the um, Byzantine church does. Um, they have a lot of um, more visible and physical signs, if I can say, um, than, uh, than we do. Our, uh, the Latin rite, I would say, is definitely more of a contemplative side, uh, contemplative liturgy, whereas the Byzantine um is a little more of an active liturgy anyway this isn't um i don't want to start a discussion about like the, the, the that i just want to say no but you touched but something I, I, you touched something though see those are different uh, rights and what, right, I, what, right. what i began to experience was something different which was uh -huh. it, within the same latin rite we had different liturgies which blew me away because how I guess what started my curiosity was if we are universal, why are we so different? And, right, right, right. And so, so even within this Latin rite, you know, I could go to churches the same day and it'll be the same liturgy with special touches. And, uh, and that's something that I just, 
I couldn't understand, right? Growing up, this this is me growing up. Once I found out the Catholic meant universal, I I was like, all right, well, that I don't see universality here. Um, and so, what I love so much about the TLM, and this is something I told my brother. I you you're whoever if whoever's listening, I you heard the uh, interview I had with my brother, and um, I was telling him. Uh, well, he pretty much said he felt lonely, right? But it's funny because we grew up in this in this liturgy. We grew up in this group, and it, it just didn't. You know, I, I couldn't comprehend that someone growing up within the church and you know praying so much felt so empty. Um, and that and that the reason I bring that up is because that's what I felt. I little I began to feel empty, like as if some like as if the liturgy wasn't complete. My experience with the TLM when I first come, you know, came to to my first mass, uh, which was a low mass. Uh, surprisingly, low masses are beautiful. You know, I grew up thinking, you know, I've heard so many times, right? Oh, the the reason Second Vatican Council came was to make the liturgy a bit more upbeat because it was so boring. It was active, exactly. Uh, let the, let the parishioners participate in the liturgy by responding and all this other stuff, right? And so I grew up with people telling me that uh, I mean, people within within the group and outside of the group as well. This is just all around, right? Uh, telling me that pretty much the liturgy was boring because no one understood Latin, um, no one would talk, and then you had the old ladies up in the front pews just praying the rosary throughout the the mass and uh and then the priest has his back towards you and all this other stuff so all these were done in negative in in a negative point of view so i go into this mass and that's what i expected right i expected to see lots of old ladies veiled up and praying the rosaries while the mass was going on mind you this was all during a research that i was doing um, about the land mass, my surprise was that I saw more, more. They're not young. Yeah, I guess they're young. More people my age, but the median age within the land mass is 25. That's the average age, which was surprising because the study shows the Novus Ordo's um, average age ranges from 60 to 80 years old. And Gosh. And it's like, whoa. And then the statistics for Latin mass shows average 25 to 30 years old. And not only are they 25 or 30 within that, that spectrum, but they, they're all open to life. And a lot of them have many children. And which well, that's was- what, That's what brings that average age down is that, um, you know, sorry if I may interject, uh, at most of sort of parishes, what do, what, and each, this is this is purely anecdotal. I have to again make that disclaimer out here. But this this is purely anecdotal. But what do I see when I go to most Novus Ordos? I see grandmas and like one or two grandchildren, right? And that makes up the majority of the congregation. I know that that is un, that is unfairly general, but that is legitimately what I see for a majority of Novus Ordo churches. And then there's a little spattering of you know people of different ages within there but that that rounds out the average right um with the with the tlm 
what do I see in almost every TLM I've gone to? I see young couples with 10 children. Not not that many all the time, but that's not uncommon, right? It, um, and so what does that do? Oh yeah, you have a, um, what is it? A 39, uh, 39, like late 30s, early 40s couple, and they have like seven kids in tow and like the oldest one is what like 11 yeah. you know that, that's gonna bring that's gonna bring the average age down but that's a good thing that's the sign of a growing church mm-hmm. right it's not the the other ones unfortunately they're signs of dying churches sorry i have a lot more to say um to feed off of the things that you just said but uh you go ahead and continue i didn't want to uh want to get that oh interrupt whenever you need to yeah i'm here for it um okay okay well well hold on if i may then because i want to catch up to speed with you too um <laughs> sorry yeah because as you can tell, this you know this is something that I'm very passionate about as well. You and I, um, because I want to I want to talk about liturgy too, um, because of, uh, of um, what I was talking about earlier with the Byzantine versus Latin. Yes, those are two different rites, but and here's the cool thing that I experienced while I was there. I focused on the differences, but what was amazing actually is the similarities. Because from uh, many of my friends that I knew that went to the Byzantine church that like told me what to expect, they were all saying, oh yeah, you're, you're going to be lost for a little bit. You're going to be you know, a little lost. You're not going to know what's going on here. But I really wasn't that lost because it's a different right. What language right? is it? It's, it's, a, um, it's, it's mostly in vernacular. It was, it's still English. Okay. But um, they're, uh, uh, I think they're Ruthenian. They're Ruthenian Byzantine. Oh, okay. That one of them, um, they, have, they have one divine liturgy that um, the main language is, or the, the liturgical language rather, is Greek, and one uh, divine liturgy or the liturgical language is Arabic. Um, as I understand, um, the Greek liturgy is said mostly in English with some responses in Greek, but the Arabic liturgy is almost entirely in Arabic. I don't know, I haven't gone to that one. Um, but it's at noon if you ever want to check out Divine Liturgy. Um, my, my point is, though, is you know, the one that I went to the, uh, of this, these couple of times, what, what really astounded me was not the, not the differences, believe it or not. It was what was the same. Because I went to that liturgy, and it was very similar in, in overall structure to a Latin Mass right um there are elements of course that differ and their calendar is different but the prayers that they say the homily um you know the liturgy of the word all of that has the same form and the same structure and then the liturgy of the eucharist again same form and same structure and there are uh, like minor differences in the way that they present and the way that they um actualize the parts of the liturgy but you can very, very, very much tell that there's still ancient traditions that have been passed down in that liturgy. Here's here's the point I'm trying to make, is within the Latin rite, you have what I think is the continuation of generations of liturgy before us in the TLM, and then you have the Novus Ordo, which is not supposed to be in rupture, and again, when said properly according to the rubrics presented in Vatican II, according to the germ, is very, very, very similar to a TLM with, again, minor differences. Um, but um, Let me interject. So pretty much what Vatican Count, the Second Vatican Council wanted, if you ever go to a, an ordinary mass, 
That is right. the closest. Yes. That is the closest you'll get to what Vatican Council wanted. Right, I agree with you 100%. I 100% I agree with that statement. Um, ordinary, they're in the English language, they're in you know the, the high English language, you know, so they have the D's and thou's and all that. But yes, I, 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 I would I would definitely 100% uh, concur with you there. The Anglican ordinary is what the Novus Ordo should have been. Um, and so uh, with that, I think is where you start to see the rupture is that within the one right, within the Latin right, and within the one uh, the one liturgy, that's the thing, is that it, it's not a different liturgy, it's not supposed to be at least, within the one liturgy, excuse me, I need to have my sip of water because I've talked too much now. <laughs> well, while you, you pause real quick, it's, it's, it's amazing though that you have, you, you have this different right that brings you closer to God, or you feel this closeness to God through that liturgy. And it's funny because this, this is what you and I are trying to do. We're trying to prove a point that tradition is maybe not 100%, but we feel that tradition is the way to go in or, order for this society, this generation to be saved. Right. I agree 100%. And, and just to finish what I was saying, the, 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 the upsetting part about the new liturgy is that it's one liturgy and it is supposed to be a continuation of the TLM, right? It is supposed to be an organic development of what the TLM, um, you know, was before the Vatican, before um, the, uh, the promulgation of the Second Vatican Council. But the problem is those who sought to either disrupt the church or those who were just indifferent and didn't care or maybe even those that just didn't know what they were doing and didn't actually read anything and were ignorant and you know went kind of crazy and flew off the wall whatever the reason you have this complete shotgun scatter of different types of the same liturgy of the one liturgy right i have gone to novus ordo masses that play mariachi music I've gone to Novus Ordo Masses that have Gregorian chant. I've gone to Novus Ordo Masses that have con like contemporary rock music. I've gone to Novus Ordo Masses, you know, like here and there. But, but that, that's just the music, right? That's just the music. Not only that, but you've seen the video, right? I haven't gone to this one, but there was a video, um, and this priest was chastised, so, um, you know, the bishop knew that this was wrong, called him out on it. Um, but there's a video that went around of a priest when when the the hover cars came out, you know, the the stupid um, the two wheel little whatevers. Yeah. The priest the priest proceeded into mass on oh, that hover. Oh dear lord. And, and and there was a video of that, and he was later chastised for that because you're not supposed to do that. But you know, like that's the type of thing that priests have just in the Novosota have been emboldened and like allowed to just or have do you seen have you seen have you seen that video of that priest who was at a funeral and he just invented his own preface uh -huh, yeah he was freestyling a whole preface i mean if we if we're going to talk about if we ever do talk about it because this is actually my field i, I studied catholic theology uh on with the philosophy track right and i graduated with it so um kind of have a little bit of understanding of it but um if we talk about the documents uh what they say uh it's true right I, like i was telling you know i saw the uh that video that interview that matt frad did with um man i forgot that doctor's name man but um yeah. 
he he Matt Fratt asked them plain plainly asked them where did the Novus Ordo come from the way it's done now and his answer was I don't know there's nothing nothing written in paper that says that the liturgy had to be that right and and um the, the upsetting thing about that is that I think that that's infected that, that, that idea of just being able to do whatever you want, wherever that did come from, um, didn't affect just the mass, but I think it affected the entirety of the way that we worship, which is kind of my segue back into what we started talking about this episode with, um, you know, the, the, the way that we've experienced and the way that we learned about our Catholic faiths, because yeah, I grew up. I grew up not knowing about. Um, I grew up not knowing about that the, the fact that we had a fast or sorry abstain from meat every Friday, um, because more than likely, and I, I don't want to bash my home parish. They, they they did the best they could, but like my home parish didn't really talk about it. The priest didn't. The the um, the and I went to Catholic school, right? So I like I was at this parish's school for my entire life, really my entire um, uh, school life. And I had a religion class in every single year. And I don't remember them ever talking about anything pre-Vatican II or anything like, you know, traditional in that sense. They always talked about, you know, just, um, I mean, basic stuff, sure. You know, we were children, so they can't get super complicated. But I feel like I wasn't set up to know about these things or the fact that they even existed and i feel robbed of that right because that that's most of the history of the church and i think that that was all done by whatever the heck it was again whether it was saboteurs or whether it was just people who didn't didn't care um when they implemented these new liturgies but it's so sad though because they truly honestly tried and are still trying to this day to erase TLM history. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you go to some parishes that have existed before pre uh, that existed pre Vatican uh, two, you'll see that the altars have changed. Lots of yeah. parishes have taken the altars down and created their own modern version of the altar uh, and moved the Blessed Sacrament out from the center out to the side. And it's like. Oh, right. But you know where that comes from too, right? So, so this is this is. Um, uh, believe it or not, um, I actually. Um, ooh, I want to choose my words carefully. I understand is the best the best thing that I can say about this. I understand why they would, for instance, move the tabernacle from the center when they're when they started saying mass the way that they do in modern Novus Ordos. Because the way that they say, say Mass in modern Novus is versus Populum. Right? Yeah. So if you're saying Mass versus Populum, you're, but you're standing up at the altar. You're back the towards the Blessed Sacrament. Your back is towards the Blessed Sacrament. And so in that sense, I understand moving the tabernacle. But here's the problem with that, is that the, the germ doesn't ever say, you know, the, 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 the new liturgy that was written for the Novus Ordo doesn't ever say you need to practice versus Populum. That's never indicated in there that that is just something that people started rolling with right yeah and like that is nowhere in there and the, it, the tradition should have just continued to be at orienta and it, it's it's horrible i mean okay once again disclaimer we're not rad trads okay 
we just are trying to conserve the beauty of the church i mean one thing i'll give you a perfect example my wife it took her quite a bit of time to get into the landmass okay uh of course we grew up uh post vatican council um liturgy had already already been changed by the time we, we were born um and so we were so used to a certain type of liturgy that coming to a a, a liturgy that's pure latin uh totally 100 different i mean i can count the 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 things that are in the land mass liturgy that's not in the novus ordo uh which is i, I want to say about and don't you know don't don't uh take what i say 100 true right but i feel like it's about 75 to 80 percent uh different um certain things are the same but for the most part it's wildly different um and uh, actually you know, you know who you know who does a very very good job of pointing all of that out Who's, uh, massive ages have you have you um oh yeah oh yeah i'm i'm waiting for the third video if it wasn't for the first video to that had to be edited i know yeah yeah youtube youtube made them take it down but but no uh massive the ages i think does a really really good job at um you know showing uh, exactly what the change like what the actual changes are made now again yeah more disclaimers sure the new mass in if if prop if practiced according to the official rubrics and nothing more still looks very very similar to a traditional latin mass but many of the readings were gutted many of the um like uh prayers before the altar were altered or changed or omitted um outright you know um this, this new liturgical calendar you know supposedly okay not supposedly it does have to give them that it does um have more bible scripture actually put into the mass and said in the mass but you have all of these things like optional readings you know like like the chris like the christmas liturgy the christmas liturgy makes it so that you can just kind of skip a good chunk of the story you know like like there there are brackets in place and it's like oh yeah you you should read all of this but basically if you feel like you can skip all of the stuff in the brackets you know that does not exist in the tlm it's oh like no skipping parts of the parts of the scripture but you know what i've noticed now that you mentioned that i feel that this generation doesn't like discipline doesn't like rules doesn't like a lot of things that that should be in the they want things their way spoiled brats let's put it there. let's let's put it there spoiled brats who do not want to follow rules so if you give it i don't know that i would be that harsh i don't know that i would be that harsh i want to be that harsh because you know what that's what it is the now for, I'm, I'm a teacher right and i see this generation and it really ticks me off because a lot of them don't know respect a lot of them don't know rules and a lot of them don't want to follow the rules because it's too hard they don't want okay. to put the work in okay but, but here's here's why i don't want to be that harsh is because um you know think about this and and we're dealing we're in a very special category because we're like the baby of millennials right like you and i are um the the, the last like within within five years of being considered millennial um versus gen z so um we're the baby of we're the babies of millennials 
and this generation that's growing up that you'd be teaching right now, they're Gen Alpha, right? Most of their parents are going to be Gen Xers or early millennials, right? Whereas Gen Zers were um, early Gen Xers and like edge of boomers, and our parents are like, um, you know, like the, our parents should be about boomer age, um, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. All right, but um, where I'm getting at is think about where we came from during Vatican II in the 60s, right? That would have been the birth of the like Gen Xers um, and they're coming up and they're, um, you know, like coming into adulthood, right? So think about this. If the, the greatest generation before the boomers um, and the boomers were raising those Gen Xers and the greatest generation, the boomers are the ones who promulgated Vatican II, um, not, not, sorry, the spirit of Vatican II. That's what I'll. That's what I'll say. They promulgated the spirit of Vatican II that we see today. This this nonchalant, non-caringness, right? Well, hey, guess what? If they imbue the Gen Xers with that and don't give them any opportunity to grow or figure things out or um, you know understand what came before, which they didn't, because they essentially wanted to oust the Latin Mass entirely and everything that came before, right? That this is why there is unfortunately. Um, as much as Pope Benedict tried to bridge this gap, I think that there was, in fact, a bit of a rupture from, um, you know, the pre-conciliar, uh, pre um, you know, like form of practice and the post-conciliar form of practice. Um, that's, again, not any one of the church's fault. That's the culture's fault. Um, and maybe it's the faithful's fault for letting the culture influence the faith. But if the Gen Xers were raised like this, then they're going to not like they're going to have that sort of mentality as they become parents. And so when they become parents and they start raising Gen Z's and, you know, baby Gen Alphas or sorry, um, uh, baby millennials, right. They're going to come up with that mentality. And then if millennials who are now having kids for the most part, you know, for the most part, millennials are still in that in that same mindset, that indifference. But millennials, I think, are the first generation that's figuring it out. That's that's you know, getting into this. Um, oh, we understand what was taken from us mentality, right? But the majority of millennials isn't. And so when they have kids, they're gen they're gen alphas, and they raise those kids. You know, those gen alphas are going to have even more like trickle down disrespect even more trickle down indifference even more trickle down you know you name it so it's it's, it's not um the reason i don't want to be that harsh is because it's a generational problem it's not it's not their fault they are the way that they are right not a hundred percent yeah i agree up to a point but uh i i think this is where you and i balance each other out because i believe that discipline does change one but there also has to be some leniency you're being too nice <laughs> and uh well, 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 well look all, all, I'm say, all i'm saying is how are they gonna learn like whose job is it to teach them discipline true it's their parents yeah it's their, their parents, parents teaching them discipline then then, then there, there's no there's no hope yes you know? true i mean but the thing is uh at home you sh you should learn discipline but sadly you don't see that you don't see that at anywhere all right you know and so someone if, if it's not your parents what better than the church to teach your discipline right so this is where i i i 
kind of like the sspx their border schism i kind of want i'm a i'm a hit border uh something um be, oh border rad trad right because mm-hmm. i feel that the discipline that the tlm has brings respect and order for example you can't just go dressed however you want to mass you know me i used to go to mass with jeans well not 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 that jeans are bad right uh but i would go in jeans and then maybe a polo shirt right you know common wear yeah common wear you know daily mass good but for a sunday mass no you know 100 suit or a tie or a shirt tie or a a nice shirt with with a nice blazer or a nice sweater something you know you're going to a mass you're not just going to to um just a random party you know you're going to meet your savior he's about to sacrifice himself for your sins the least you can do is go nicely dressed right and that's what the tlm does the tlm brings this order to to your person your your wear they tell you what you can wear and what you can't wear and if you you wear if you're not wearing that or anything close to it uh better consider turning around and going back to your car and going back home because you're not dressed to impress and, right. and, and but, but I think I think that that's, that really just serves to kind of accentuate my point um, if you think about it because with few exceptions on either side right there are some Nova Sordo um, like faithful Catholics that still have a good amount of respect or rather their children um, have a really good um, amount of respect like they're, they're proper well educated well formed um, but the, the TLM right and again same thing a few exceptions there are some TLM parishes um, that oh their kids are unruly and misbehaved and uh, no not great. There are going to be a couple of exceptions to both rules. But exactly what you're saying right now, I think that the form of the TLM, the the the, the environments that it causes you to be immersed in, causes you to inherently just dig into this respectful dignity and graciousness that you have as a person. So who are some of the most respectful children that I ever know? Well, most of them are the children that go to TLM Parish. You know, the, the the children of the parents that are taking these kids and forming them the best that they can, because that type of stuff does matter to them. And so, right, that's where we're getting these well respectable, well natured, well meaning um, children and generations. Oh yeah, that pray. Their that... parents are. Yeah, that, that pray because their parents are actually teaching them that, and unfortunately, that's just not the majority of our culture because. Yeah. You know, our parents, um, you know, not not personally, um, but like our parents' generation, when they raised our generation, our parents' generation was exactly the ones that sought to get rid of all of that form and functionality and wanted to go along with the hippy-dippy movement of the 60s and 70s. Yeah, true. And it's funny that you bring that up because I was watching Peter, uh, man, I'm, I'm about to destroy his name. Peter Kwasniewski. Uh, I was listening to one of his lectures and he says something that I really, really loved because growing up, I always thought, you know, okay, I go to church. I, I have to, uh, whatever this group did, right? Uh, go express myself to to the people uh my my struggles my everything and i'll feel better about it 
and uh my intention i'm not saying that the intention of everybody there because there there are some holy people there i'm not going to deny that there are some holy people but my intention because of the setup my intention was always to go and i i, I go for god to uh cure my suffering and then once my suffering was cured i didn't want to go again and then once i was suffering again go back so uh the tlm did something different it made me realize that the mass is not for me it's not for me to feel good it's not for me to to uh ask god to uh cure my suffering no whether i am in crisis whether i'm sad happy whatever the case may be my duty is to be there on sundays right so once i figured that out something in me began to change right my personality began to change i began to see some changes not so much because i saw them but because my wife began to see them i i was more happy and um and it was strange because i in my mind i had to talk and express openly to everybody uh in other words expel my demons to everybody in the room that i was going through this right or through that or whatever and um coming to the tlm i was quiet it was just me and god and right. when i was sad i would I, I was there still praying to god one-on-one -on -one. and this is and, and it's funny i just saw a video right now in italian uh, where the guy said something that really really got me and he said he said that silence is the language of love Right. silence is a language of mystery and it's crazy because it is in that silence that i actually was able to have intimacy with god although i was sad god still helped me i wasn't asking asking him to cure me to change me no 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 the way i describe it and the way that peter uh, kwasniewski kind of described it his words were you go to the landmass you go you just go you, you don't do anything special. You go, you follow it, and the liturgy itself will begin to change you from within. Right. And I was like, whoa. And then that's what began to happen. A change began to happen. And it was like, and I was like, whoa, this, this is totally different. Because not only is this liturgy changing me and changing my, 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 uh, my perspective of what I had grown up in, but it's also helping my family it's helping everything because i've understood now i understand now that it's not the mass is not necessarily for me give to caesar what is caesar's and give to god what is god's that phrase there including what i i heard just uh maybe two hours ago that love that silence is the language of love that right there is some is, is something that stayed with me but the way i describe it is this way god loves you the way you are right you're a sinner um not you right in general uh right, you, yeah. you're, god, god loves us the way yeah god loves us the way we are uh sinners uh whatever he loves us the way we are he he doesn't tells he, he doesn't tell us to change he's not saying oh you need to change if and then once you change i love you no he loves us the way we are but because he loves us the way we are a change within me happens 
because it's like you're you're falling in love for example with me falling in love with my wife my wife loves me the way i am but because i want to be better for her i change the negative things that she doesn't like about me right i was i was gonna say uh, you know uh, um I, was, I, was, I had a little bit of a problem the way that you were presenting this um because um yeah i, I disagree with that just just a little bit and the part i disagree with is that um god doesn't change like he doesn't call us to change but yeah yeah you said no he, he doesn't call us to change to earn his love it's precisely because he loves us that he calls us to change exactly right? exactly yeah, so he's calling us to be greater exactly so, um uh, it's it's funny that you should mention like silence is the language of love uh because it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes and i completely forget who it's from and so you're gonna have to forgive me but um i, I know uh, of, of this quote uh that, that says that god speaks to us in silence right like mm -hmm. it, it is silence that actually that god actually touches our hearts and um part of that is biblical right um i forget the verse again you know wonderful catholic i know my bible verse um <laughs> that bible verse is super well but um there's this bible verse that, that um is talking i think it's in isaiah um but i'm not 100 sure it might also be paul whatever it's um, <laughs> talking about yeah i know two different ends of the bible right um it's talking about how um the prophet uh who's speaking was saying um I heard, um, what is it? And so I heard a great noise, um, but God wasn't in that noise. I heard a great like fanfare, but God wasn't in the fanfare. I heard a great storm, but God wasn't in the storm. But then I heard silence and God was in that silence. I'm going to look it up right now as I talk because it, it's upsetting me this much that I can't remember. Um, but right, God speaks to us through silence um, in this world of like crazy noise and distraction and um all of that when we can actually take time to focus and when we can take time to actually just sit in silence god reveals it's, it's like um i've also heard this said um and i think this one was just by a really really good friend of mine he probably heard it or read it from another great catholic philosopher or saint but i remember him telling me that when we sit in silence, particularly in like adoration or something, right? When you're sitting in adoration, you're sitting there with God in silence. God reveals who you are to you. Mm -hmm. And so it's like That's God beautiful. is holding up a big mirror, a big mirror to your heart. Um, That's beautiful. And you're able to see, hey, um, this is who I am. And this is what God is calling me to. And this is what God is what God is communicating to me. But you wouldn't have been able to hear that if you didn't sit in silence with the Lord. Exactly. It's funny you say that because, uh, for example, one of the biggest arguments I have with my mom, and it's something that I'm changing honestly because I constantly put a lot of things in their face, and I shouldn't do that. Um, and I trust me, every time I do it, I feel bad. Uh, but I just can't help it. Um, but of course it's something that you know through prayer i'll i'll, I'll be able to uh, overcome right but uh wow. one of the things that that um i tell my mom a lot is you know why like why are you doing that like you shouldn't be doing i'm not gonna really put her stuff out there right but um you know why are you doing that and she says well god loves me that way and that's all that matters and i'm like but if it's negative why are you still doing it 
You know, there's something. It's funny because I was listening to the. Um, so last weekend, we couldn't go to uh, to TLM because uh, we went to a baptism right in Houston. Um, my oh. niece, my niece was baptized or whatever, and uh, it was it was it was uh, it was down in Houston, and so we were able to listen to the to the homily uh, live uh, on YouTube uh, on our way to the baptism, and. Um, he says something oh wait yeah yeah and he says something that really that really made me think right when you have god in your heart you're joyful you're not you're not sitting in in, in sadness you're not just there uh you know moaning and groaning and and just judging the whole world and and you know just being negative about life no once you have god and you truly have god you don't judge your joy you, you you're filled with joy you uh some a lot of positivities in your life if you have god and so that made me think about you know what my mom said you know she she did something that was not right but according to her because that's what she she's been told for most of her life uh that no matter god loves her the way she is and she doesn't have to change and right. and it's like whoa if you have god you know that if you're lying you need to stop lying like yeah. that's 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 what you need to do you need to stop lying just because god loves you as a liar doesn't mean you're going to be a liar it's good like god accepts you the way you are but he's calling you to change right right again you know it's it's it's, it's the whole uh it's the um the woman at the well mentality right or um is it the woman at the well i forget where jesus tells that uh jesus tells her go and sin no more you know and some of the, like yeah uh no no no. i'm sorry it wasn't the woman at the well it was the uh the, the throwing of rocks right oh yeah um, crowds throwing rocks to the prostitutes um and um you know jesus sends them away and he tells and he tells the prostitute or the adulteress I forget what she is um uh, you know, like, have any of these people judged you? Like, no, then, you know, then I, uh, like, I don't judge you either, but go and sin no more. They stop, they stop at the I don't judge you part. Yes. They don't hear the go and sin no more. Yeah, God loves you the way that you are, but God loves you. He doesn't love your sin. He doesn't love the bad things that you do. He loves you because he wants to be in a relationship with you and wants the best for you. Exactly. Right? And exactly. it's just for that reason that you need to, like, take up your cross and follow him reject all of the evils that are in your life and follow him that's what he's calling you to do that's what love means it isn't just a oh i love you and that means i have great strong emotions for you no love is wanting the best classically it's loving the good of one and lo loving the good of another right and the good is them building themselves up and not to remain in sin and by the way, I looked it up because, um, yeah, I, I just had to. Uh, the, the verses that I was thinking of, um, as far as the silence goes, they're from um, 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, and it's um, God speaking to Elijah. So, mm, okay. Um, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and read off the, the relevant passages. Um, it's, uh, yeah, 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, verse 12. And I'm reading off our, you know, good old friend the Dewey Reams. So it says, <laughs> um, doo, 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 doo. 
Oh, sorry, starting in 11. And he said to him, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passeth, and a great and strong wind before the Lord, overthrowing the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord is not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord is not in the fire. And after the fire, a whistling of a gentle air. And when Elias heard it, he covered his face with his mantle, and coming forth, stood in the entrance of the cave, and behold, a voice unto him, saying, What dost thou hear, Elias? And he answered. And then it goes on, and Elias, um, you know, like, you know, has a conversation with God. But, uh, again, go to the mountain, and the Lord will come through, and these three great, terrible things, like, come through. There's a great wind, um, and it's a great storm, and it's overthrown the mountains, and it breaks the rocks into pieces, and the mortals into the wind. And there, there's an earthquake, right? An earthquake is a big earth-shattering, you know, by definition, earth-shattering occasion, a natural disaster that just shakes things up and causes things to go crazy. But the Lord is not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, right? Fire is this big blazing inferno that burns things down and causes massive destruction. And, you know, it's like a big, loud and, you know, boisterous thing. But the Lord was into the fire. No, where was the Lord? It was in the whistling of a gentle air. It was in, you know, basically silence. It was a very small breeze that Elias heard. And when he heard it, he covered his face because he knew that that's where the Lord was, right? And so, yeah, the Lord speaks to us through silence. Um, you know, we have good, good uh, credit for that here in the Bible. Um, it's in that sacred silence that we can actually reflect and contemplate and be with the Lord and learn a lot about ourselves because the Lord, the Lord also reveals ourselves to ourselves so that we know what to work on. Um, and yeah, again, connecting, just, yeah, connecting the threads because I don't want this to be a super scatterbrained um, episode, um, but yeah, connecting these threads back to what was said before. Yeah, I don't think that that kind of thing is told to people of, uh, or rather, it was not told to people of our generation growing up. And it was not told to probably the Gen Zers, and it's only starting to be told now to the Gen Alphas, you know, as the millennials who are embracing this trad movement are understanding the importance of tradition and order and all of that. They're starting to teach those younger generations. It's still an uphill battle, don't get me wrong. But I think it's only, you know, it's only starting to, the tide is only just now starting to turn because unfortunately, again whoever it was people who sought to undo the church or whatever um they they sought to shut down this message too right because i didn't know about any of this before i got back into my faith in college you know i didn't know any of this in high school i had teachers god bless them that did try to teach a lot of it but you know by by the time i was in high school i already hit that teenage like rebellious and unlistening phase and so a lot of it a lot of it did fall on deaf ears and that is my fault i admit you know like i should have been more receptive um but had the groundwork been laid for me better when i was you know a kid i think i would have been more receptive and my heart would have been more open to receiving that 
but that's just not the case. Catholic schools aren't what they used to be. They're not teaching kids how to actually authentically learn and be in the faith. Look at, look at the university systems that we have, right? Many of the Jesuit colleges, many of college, Catholic colleges just in general have you know, gotten criticism by faithful Catholics because of what they allow on camp, campus. And yeah, I know I, I name dropped the Jesuits just because they're the most famous of them. Um, but um, uh, St. Mary's College, uh, this this is, uh, I, I just saw this um, on a Catholic Votes headline. One of their Catholic zeros was St. Mary's College in Notre Dame, Virginia, Notre Dame, Indiana, sorry. Um, St. Mary's College in Notre Dame, Indiana, it's an all-girls Catholic college, and it only admits women, and they just recently made the decision to allow men who biologically present as female into their college. So they're allowing, they're, yeah, they're allowing transgender or whatever the heck, you know. Um, Lord have mercy, as Matt Fred says. Yeah, as a, as a Catholic college, right? Wow. And that's just that, that that spits in the face of their Catholic identity, because we you know we as Catholics we don't we we don't endorse that we shouldn't endorse that that that, that is antithetical. Hey hey, to you're the gonna way the you're gonna get us canceled. Oh yeah, that's our we're a Catholic podcast. <laughs> we're a Catholic podcast. It's just, you know, and that's just kind of par for the course. But you know that that is that is antithetical to you know, our vision and the theology of the body of how you were made. Mm -hmm. And you have a Catholic college doing that. And if, if Catholic colleges can get away with that now, uh, I, I say that actually they didn't get away with it. Their Bishop chastised them for it. And he, um, and I'm pretty sure he called them to like reconsider. Um, and I hope he goes further. I hope if they don't, um, I hope if they don't like repent of this action, that he he makes them take you know the Catholic identity out of their uh, out of their name because you cannot do that you cannot support something that is so antithetical to the faith and still call yourself a Catholic that's not how it works oh. that's not how believing in things works well how is it going to work when there's so much noise and then you go to mass and there's more noise you can't really discern anything honestly I mean all these decisions all these radical decisions. Ha are they come from the noise there's so much noise and it's so difficult to dissect what what is good and what is bad because everything comes in as good so when there's noise and this is something that that um uh that, that ties back to the silence is the language of love um when you want to do something and you want to pray and discern you pray in silence you go to the blessed sacrament you do something but then you have all these uh what's the nice word uh priests or bishops or or catholic people within the schools who consider themselves <coughs> faithful catholics and we all know they're not um because they want to have the the what's the word that these people use um the status the power the, the equality no not equality the I forgot. I can't think of the word right now. But um, they want to be they want to be open to everything because that's what us Catholics should do. Well, I think that's just oh uh, yeah, welcoming and um, uh, if I if I might use a more liturgical word, ecumenical. There you go, more accepting, right? Well, 
tolerant. That I think that's exactly, exactly. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. More tolerant. Um, honestly, does that really come from God, or does it come from somewhere else? Because if they're discerning is at a novice order where, where it's a rock band playing music i don't think the discernment comes just right um and i go back to the tlm i grew up with a lot of noise right guitars clapping singing uh participating in everything but now in the tlm i've discovered and i take full responsibility for it I made a drastic decision moving to Dallas because we were in the, excuse my French, right? We, we were in the shits. Uh, we really were. And I made a drastic decision. Well, there was no prayer. There was no discerning because there was a lot of noise. So now I'm like, oh my gosh. Like now we're moving back to Houston because we finally, I finally understood that the discerning and the you know making the correct decisions comes from the silence and that the example you gave um it's it's i feel like it's one of those things right where these people think they're real faithful catholics and in order to be tolerant and accepting they made a drastic decision which is so horrible it's funny because uh i forgot where i heard it i think someone told me uh but in europe uh, I think it, I'm not going to name countries because I'm not sure. But I know it's in Europe where kids, when they're entering school for the very first time, their first year, kindergarten, I think it is, um, they walk into the principal's office with the parent or without the parent. I think it's without the parent. And the principal asks the kid, what does he, he or she feel like? Or I think, it, or, no, 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 I'm sorry. They show them a doll. Uh, a boy's uh, whatever toy and a girl's doll right and they ask the child which one do you like and whatever toy the, the kid likes that's what they're going to identify for the rest of their life so if it's a boy who likes the doll he's a girl and that's it and they'll ask him, what do you feel like? Do you feel like a boy or a girl? And if, it's, if, if the little boy says girl, he's a girl. That's it. For the rest of his life in school, he's a girl. Uh, yeah, that's despicable. Yeah, and, and, and it's these Catholic institutions where they say they're Catholic, but are they really? Are they really? I mean, it's, it's the noise. There's too much noise. And this is, and it's funny because I'm, I'm about to touch the whole social media topic really fast. Mm -hmm. Social media has come to help, yes, podcasters like you and I. They come to help us to kind of market, right? But then the downside to it is that it's rarely used to market. It's mostly used for selfish reasons. For people to see uh, so-and-so in a bikini and then those girls have to compare themselves to that one girl who was in the bikini or men are comparing them their themselves to other men uh, that have cars, that have a good body, that whatever, have a nice job, that travel, that whatever. And so all this noise 
is causing is one of the main causes and this is something that i really did research because i was preparing for this podcast uh, for that topic um it it it, it's it's the cause of 68 percent of anxiety depression and wrong choices in life Mm -hmm. so what i'm trying to say i and i know i've said a lot and i haven't landed yet but i'm gonna land with this all the noise in the world is is causing us to bring it into the church and causing everyone to lose faith which is why and i repeat myself and um uh i would say i'm speaking for you but maybe not (laughs) uh but i feel that if the tradition is brought back the, the our faith our tra- the, the 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 tradition of our faith is brought back in its entirety and yes i agree that the the reading should be in vernacular just because a lot of people but then they reread they reread them in vernacular anyways so it doesn't really yeah. matter um but that the f- tradition should be back should come back to save this generation a hundred percent um right. so but yeah, well, no, yeah go ahead well okay so, so yeah i was just gonna say that um <sighs> I, I it's it's one of those i don't know exactly where to be where where to start with that because i agree with you wholeheartedly now with a little a couple of caveats i i am i am I am no optimist 100%, so I'm not going to stand here and tell you that returning to tradition is going to fix all of our problems, not even a little. But, um, sorry, actually, I correct myself there, it will fix our problems more than a little, um, but it won't fix 100% of our problems. Um, because uh, I have a couple friends that I've you know talked to about this. Um, also, good trad friends that have you know done a lot of thinking and a lot of research on this topic. And one of the problems that we run into is that hey, when you look at the pre the pre consular church and the post consular church, right? There was such an abrupt shift in the way the faithful practiced that there is no way on God's earth that that could have happened from a single council, right? The, the, the makings of what we have today in our church today were already brewing somewhere behind the scenes. You know, people were already starting to lose their faith and people were already starting to not practice well and not be super involved in the church before the council ever happened. Mm-hmm. Now, Here's the here's the, the kind of kicker to that is that after the council, well, actually during the council, there were stated like what is it? I think Paul the Sixth, I think he had like three major things that he was trying to accomplish with the council um, that he went on record as saying, uh, oh yeah, I, I uh, with this council. The problems that I'm looking to solve in the church are this, this, and this. And here we stand now, 60 years later, right? 60 years after the start of the council. And by every metric that we can possibly measure, every one of his goals has failed. 
right? Like every single one, every goal that Vatican II set out to accomplish and to correct is worse than it was before the council. And so, and this is again my personal opinion, um, right? But I think that holding on to the things that it, that that Vatican II, the, the things that Vatican II tried to do and failed, like this new mass, are a mistake. I don't think that that's going to lead to any sort of revival of the church at all, right? Because if you just if you just look at where we stand now versus sixty years ago. It didn't work. So why are we gonna why are we gonna keep going with that? I I personally I, I, I always flop back and forth because um, I am a fan of um, Pope Benedict's reform of the reform, right? So um, hey, let's take the let's take the good parts of Vatican II and let's you know do something else with them and let's actually you know let's try to make it um, you know, like better in what we can salvage what we can. Um, I flop back and forth between that ideology and the return to return to tradition and try to evolve organically from their ideology. So, you know, it's essentially erase everything of the past 60 years that, that was bad completely. Right. So keep, keep all the documents of Vatican II. Those are great. We want those. Right. But new liturgy, new, like, new mentality, all of that. Yeah, get rid of that, go back to tradition, make the TLM the new um, ordinary form again, um, and try to evolve from there. Or even still... or even the ordinary. Right. But, you know, my idea, my idea is, um, my idea is a little meaner um, than, than I'm letting on, because uh, I, I will admit, my idea is, um, it, it, I, I, I both... <laughs> It's, it's both uh, sarcastic and non-sarcastic because I do legitimately think that this would, would be um, the best way for the church to like regroup and reground its morals while continuing on. Um, but I also think that it, it's just kind of ironic because my solution, if, if we were to enact my solution the best way I wanted to, it would basically be to flip what's happening right now to the TLM and Novus Ordo. So essentially, um, pull a Pope Francis on the Novus Ordo by saying, okay, so we're returning to the TLM as the ordinary form of the mass. So from here on out, every priest in the, in the Latin rite is celebrating the TLM. And we're gonna keep this Novus Ordo experiment um, for those people. And if, if I remember correctly, the exact words he used in Traditionis Custodis were, um, for those people that are still attached and can't get over, like it was something to that effect, right? Like he wanted bishops to try to coax, um, try to coax the TLM um, goers to accept and embrace the Novus Ordo. Um, I think is like the way that his letter reads. So basically, I would write that letter, but on the other foot. So, oh yeah, so uh, the TLM is now the ordinary form, and uh, the Novus Ordo is um, is going to be kept alive. But we're going to encourage the bishops to um, you know slowly wean people off of that and try to get them to come to TLM. And I know that just by saying that and throwing that out there, I'm going to get a lot of flack and a lot of hate. Um, but again, I'm like half sarcastic and half not. It's just kind of a, oh, hey, look, this is what you're doing to the, this is what you're doing to the TLMers. So if you don't like what I'm saying, well, hey, guess how we feel. But it's also, 
I do I do legitimately think that would like that would benefit the church is like you said it would introduce people who probably have never even seen a Latin mass before to this liturgy that invites you to engage in order and discipline in a way you've never seen yes exactly and um, going off of that it's it's just it's sad you know because a lot of these people don't know anything else and it's and i i feel like before you someone judges the liturgy you know they should just experience it for once um because it's sad what's going on um and it's funny because TLMers, a lot of us are not really outspoken or protesting when bishops close or st- or stop allowing the um, the TLM to be done in their diocese. And uh, it's funny how TLMers or traditionalists they normally just stay back and pray and pray and pray. You don't see them in the streets yelling at someone, telling them, "Hey." Uh, no, we want our liturgy. No, there. I mean, of course, you'll have your your Taylor Marshalls. You'll have your uh, your um, what's his name? Uh, Kennedy. Um, uh, I forgot his name. Uh, Kennedy. Not familiar with that one. Um, but um, yeah, you'll have them. You know, but for the most part, you're not going to see them processing. But then when you have Novus Ordo groups or people who attend the novice ordo they're very outspoken about things that they're not allowed to do how come they're not allowed to do it they should allow it blah 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 uh-huh. and it's like whoa like we like don't do what like what's that saying don't do what i say no don't do what i do do what i say not what i do exactly that uh that's not a good rule to follow follow those who set the example and i feel that traditionalists a lot and this is something i'm learning because i grew up always thinking i need to to you know protest and fight for what i think is right but then i saw the love that these traditionalists had towards the land mass towards their liturgy and uh which is the liturgy of the church um and that they weren't you know the yeah they would cry uh i think i think the last mass i heard of that was being canceled was in ohio um the last mass yeah it hurt it hurts what what are they not doing they're not like you know protesting in the streets and they're not causing a big ruckus about it and they're not like sending death threats or anything like that they're just they're, they're weeping because they just lost their community exactly and not just community but their connection to god they're they're there for a reason they're not just there oh because you know i I like this person no they're there because there's a connection to god a connection they cannot find in the novus ordo and i say this because that's me you know if if you know pope francis said fssp no more I would be hurt because I cannot find that connection with God in the Novus Ordo as strong as I can in the in, in the land mass. And right. I, I would be hurt. And that's what these people hurt. But they don't you don't see them crying about it. You don't know. You all you hear is is that um 
uh, that love and, 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 and not so much protest, but prayer. Mm-hmm. But um, with that being said, um, this was today's episode. We would continue. Yeah, we would love to continue. Maybe we'll do a part two, Nate, uh, another time. But for now, we're going to leave it at that. We've we've talked too much, and I know a lot of you are either working or doing something. Uh, just want to say, uh, go we ahead. Can talk a lot more. Yeah, we can talk a lot more because I enjoy this topic. But yeah, let's uh, let's call it. And- that you guys do yeah so just a couple of things if you if you're listening on uh on youtube i do apologize we're still trying to figure out the whole video and audio thing but for now it's gonna have to be audio i know i promised last episode it was going to be a uh, video but we couldn't do it um so if you did like it please like subscribe and leave a comment down below what you thought about this video what could we do better and um and and if you're on spotify just follow um uh just follow and once again leave a comment leave anything second we're i'm starting we're actually going to make some rosaries to our donors if you'd like to donate something you will receive a rosary in return uh so it's pretty much a gift for your donation and so um there's going to be a website, a formal website, and uh, and the rosaries on there. Once all that is set, I will let you know. But I would love to, you know, let you know ahead of time, so that when the time comes, you'll be ready. Um, so if you like the show, please donate, and you'll get a rosary. And your all that money is just going to go back into the podcast, so that we can actually present a nice episode. Um, and, um, with that being said, thank you for listening and God bless.